Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Great. So uh, we're looking at Psalm 136 uh, today. And this psalm has the potential to be the most monotonous sounding psalm ever, or it can actually be a wonderful psalm of praise to an amazing God, depending on how you look at it. So I'm obviously going for the latter, and um, we're going to be talking about God's love, uh, how all-encompassing it is, and also what knowing a love like that and actually experiencing a love like that, what kind of a difference that can make to our relationship with God. And we're going to look at God's love shown in creation, about how God's love has worked to achieve our redemption, and also how God continues to show his love for us now. And the hope is that grasping even a little of this love will really impact how we relate to this love in God. I'm also using a little artistic license. You may uh, have noticed, if you're familiar with the psalm, this is authorized by a theologian called Derek Kidner, who's written a couple of really good volumes of books on the psalms. And he actually recommends that saying, his love has no end, is a slightly better translation instead of his love endures forever, and also is less sort of monotonous sounding. So we're just going to use that artistic license and say that for today, just so we can get into the feel and the rhythm of this psalm. And yes, we, as I read the psalm, there'll be a little uh, congregational participation. Uh, if you're up for it, for the refrain. So it probably would have been repeated by a choir or a congregation when it was read out or when it was sung. So I'm not going to get you to sing, but uh, I'm going to ask you to join in with that refrain in an uplifting way, if you can, okay? So with the refrain after each, uh, sorry, with the refrain after each phrase, his love has no end. So let's go. Let's dig right in. Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. Who, by his understanding, made the heavens. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. Who made the great lights, the sun to govern the day, the moon and stars to govern the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them. You're doing really well. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder. And brought Israel through the midst of it. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan and gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his servant Israel. He remembered us in our low estate and freed us from our enemies. 
He gives food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love has no end. Great, well done. So, let's get started with his creating love. Psalm 136 starts in the same way that it ends, with words of thanks and praise to God. We declare his goodness and his supremacy as God of God and Lord of Lords, like the best of the best. And note that it's his goodness in verse 1 as well as his supremacy in verses 2 and 3 that's highlighted. You see, supremacy alone could be harsh, authoritative, dictatorial, but his supremacy goes hand in hand with his goodness. Both of them are fundamental to his identity, supreme and good. And these two serve as actually the perfect introduction for this whole psalm. You see, throughout it heralds this amazing work of God, but it's always within the context of his love that he does these things, hence that refrain, his love has no end. So this psalm is all about celebrating and thanking God for his power shown through his love, or you could say his love shown through his power, each one works. So if God showed power without love, we might fear and tremble, but we might not love him or like him. But if he showed love without power, we might love him, but not respect him. Only together can they cause us to both love him and look in awe and wonder at what, how an incredible God he is. And he proves and demonstrates his lordship through his great wonders in and over creation. So it's celebrated in verses 4 to 9 that you can see in his creation of the heavens, the earth, the water, the sky. It's this vast work of his hands. Psalm 19 starts with verses 1 to 4. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet... Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Creation is literally singing God's praises. And how wonderful for us to know and remember that when we sing praise to God, we're joining with creation in all that he's created in praising him. And we can see his love in creation, his attention to detail, the beauty like when an artist paints a beautiful painting or a songwriter writes a beautiful song or even a carpenter crafts a beautiful piece of furniture, they pour their love into that creation. And how much more a good and supreme God is pouring his love into the creation of this beautiful world we live in. And it is flawed because of our sin but we can still see the artist's hand in all he's made. Who doesn't stand on top of a mountain or stand on a beach looking over the vast ocean and just marvel at the work of his hands or any other natural spectacle that, that you like to see? It was crafted in love for us. So we see God's love in his creation. But we also see his redeeming love. In verses 10 to 22, the people are reminding themselves and thanking God for what he's done in saving them, in rescuing them, in redeeming them. And these verses in the psalm, they track the Israelites' history. God's people were slaves in Egypt, and through a series of miracles, he rescued them from slavery, brought them through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, defeated their enemies to bring them into the promised land. 
which was their inheritance. And the psalmist credits God with all of this work. It wasn't the people, it was God who did it. The Israelites regularly looked back at their redemption history to remind themselves of God's rescue and their dependence on him to save. And now, with the benefit of our post-New Testament lives, we can see that all of these were foreshadows of our complete redemption and our eternal inheritance. So if we look again at the verses from verse 10, we know the firstborn over all creation, the Son of God was struck down so that we could be rescued from the slavery, not of Egypt, but of our sin. And on the night the Israelites escaped Egypt, every household sacrificed a Passover lamb so that the plague of the firstborn, um, at the death of the firstborn would pass over them. And 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7 tells us that Jesus was our Passover lamb. He sacrificed himself for us so that our sin could be covered and so that we could be saved. From verse 13, as you follow down on there, the Israelites would celebrate passing through the Red Sea to finally escape the Egyptian pharaoh and his armies and start their new life. This is a foreshadow of when we pass through the waters of baptism, when we enter a new life with him, born again, finally leaving our old life behind and following him with all our hearts. Then following down onto verse 17, we know that he has defeated our greatest enemy, not Og and Sihon, but our greatest enemy, death. By rising from the dead, he showed that no, death no longer holds us. Death is no longer the end for those in Christ Jesus. And then while the Israelites, uh, Israelites sorry, celebrated being in the promised land as their inheritance, in verse 21, we can look forward to an eternal inheritance. Romans 8 tells us that when we become Jesus followers, we're adopted as God's children, and we are co-heirs with the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and we inherit the family riches, eternal life with God in heaven. What an amazing redemption to thank God for. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 4. Hello? Oh, sorry, I've actually just missed some slides there. So that's Egypt's firstborn struck down. Jesus was struck down, divided seas, our baptism, defeated Israel's enemies, defeated death, and land as an inheritance. We receive our eternal inheritance. Right, so 1 Peter 1, 3 to 4. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So when we reflect on all of these things, it is easy to say his love has no end. John 3.16, possibly the Bible's most famous verse, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It was because of his love that he did all of this so that we could inherit eternal life. See, his love is a redeeming love. And now let's look at the last section of the psalm, verses 23 to 26. This is all about his sustaining love. Now theologians who write about this psalm now say that this last section, the Israelites were actually celebrating more recent events in the history of their people. So they're not just remembering and reminding themselves of the great story of redemption, 
but also about how God is working in their lives. And similarly, we can thank God for things in our lives. For example, from 23, looking at verse 23, it says, He remembered us in our lower state. And Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our transgressions and sins when we followed the ways of the world before Jesus saved us. It goes on to say that we were by nature deserving of wrath. And by his grace, because of his great love for us and his rich mercy, we were made alive in Christ. So not only can we thank Jesus and reflect on his love in his great acts of redemption, we can thank him that he's revealed it to us individually. I can thank him that he's rescued me and he's rescued you because of his great love for us. Verse 25 then celebrates that he provides for us and we can thank him that he provides for us now. And of course, this also comes from his love. John 6:35 says, Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He gives us spiritual food and drink, which refreshes our souls. And Steve talked last week about how Jesus is the true vine, and that when we're in him, we then drink from his roots, and we find that sustenance that we ultimately need. And he continues to provide this out of his love for us. Now, as we pull all this together, I just want to say how it, that it is so important that we grasp this concept of God's love for us as his children. And Steve mentioned a book last week, Enjoying God by Tim Chester, the same guy who's doing that, that course that's going on. And, uh, and I'm reading this at the moment, I, uh, so you can't have this one, but I really recommend it too. It's um, all about having a fulfilling relationship with God. So not so much about knowing the Bible, although that is obviously important, but about knowing God and about experiencing his love and enjoying knowing him, enjoying that relationship. So in this book, he quotes another author, J.I. Packer, who says this, Adoption, that's when we become God's children, is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, higher even than justification when our sins are wiped away. That is justification. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is a greater. And if you have a relationship with God that maybe is lacking that sense of closeness and intimacy, then I would highly recommend reading that book and also reading Psalm 136. We desperately need to know his love and his care in all aspects of our lives. Otherwise, he's just a distant but powerful God. And we're missing out hugely on most of the picture. And this is something that I've struggled with over the years, seeing God the Father as a loving, caring, reliable Father. And although I've always known he's Father, in theory, hasn't always felt that close, a loving relationship. And in reality, kind of more of a teacher or judge kind of relationship, nice but a bit distant. And so this is something that I still work on all the time. And this, reading this book has been really helpful, again, to be reminded of that. So I really, really recommend it. So as we look over what this psalm teaches us, let's just review. We see his love in creation. 
Not only can we see his loving workmanship in the creation of this world, but also his love in how God the Son, Jesus Christ, entered into his creation. He humbled himself and became subject to the world, became, took on our human condition and subject to the world's ways and, and, and eventually subject to the people who killed him. So we see his love in creation. And we can see his redeeming love by rescuing us from our slavery to sin, leading us into new life through baptism, defeating our greatest enemy, death, and adopting us as his children. As his children, he then gives us an inheritance that can never spoil or fade, eternal life with him. And we can see his love continuing to sustain us. His work for our own salvation and his continued work in his life-sustaining spirit, giving us spiritual food and drink that can truly satisfy. You see, he wants us to live a full life with him now, not just when we die. He wants us to know him deeply, intimately. He wants us to seek him out, relate to him, delight in him. He wants to abide in us as we abide in him. So reminding ourselves of his love is just so crucial for the way we relate to God. So when we read this psalm along with the Israelites, we're expressing a deep gratitude on a God who never fails to fulfill his promises and never fails in his love for his people. His love has no end. I'd like us to finish with a prayer of thanks. And after every phrase, let's say again, his love has no end. As we remind ourselves of what he has done for us and how his love has achieved so much for us. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and we praise you for your power. His love has no end. We thank you for your beautiful creation you have made for us to enjoy. His love has no end. We thank you for the sea and the mountains here in Dublin where we can marvel and wonder at the work of your hands. His love has no end. We thank you for Jesus who became like us for us. His love has no end. We thank you that Jesus gave it all so we could have it all. His love has no end. We thank you that you continue to care for us as your children. His love has no end. We thank you that we will one day see you as you are and be like you and there will no longer be any grief or pain in your eternal kingdom. His love has no end. Help us to remember your goodness and love and power all the days of our lives. His love has no end. Amen.